Weekly Signals. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show today is about a different kind of privacy, the privacy of spiritual enlightenment. But I thought, you know, we do so many different types of privacy. We do information privacy quite a bit. We do the technology privacy, financial privacy, healthcare privacy. And once in a while, we talk about religious privacy because that is a a real private matter for each of us. And today we have a very special guest, Kirk, Kirk Moore, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Reverend Kirk Moore is the co-minister and music director of the Center for Spiritual Living, and that is now in Mission Viejo, California, but they started way back in May of 1999. Kirk and his wife, Sandy, who is also a minister, she was the founding minister, raised their two daughters in Los Angeles and Orange County, and tragically, their older daughter, Tara, was killed in an automobile accident back in 1992 at the age of 15. And that experience profoundly changed their lives. And they have really grown tremendously in spirit. And it is just such um, enlightening for me and inspirational for me and others who get to know them. Another thing, Kirk has studied piano and music since the age of four. And he is a fantastic pianist. And back in 1972, he created his own band, More and More, that performed in clubs throughout the Los Angeles area. With all the experiences since he's a young child, his relationship with God has been very deep and a motivating factor in his life, even when he was young. And he has been involved in religious science, the Church of Religious Science, since 1980. When Kirk lost his 15-year-old daughter, his life really took on a whole new dimension and his whole life course was altered forever. Kirk and Sandy Moore opened a a store in San Juan Capistrano back in 1993. And I remember, Lloyd, I remember that we went there and we bought bought books at the store called Tara's Angels. And they experienced worldwide attention. And they were on numerous television appearances and the cover of People magazine, if you remember that. And the store became a whole healing haven And those who came to visit were really spiritually enlightened. I know they even had spiritual classes. 
And from all of this, actually, it was a natural progression to create a whole spiritual center. So that's how they ended up in May of 1999, setting up the Center for Universal Truth. And that has evolved now. That was back in in San Juan, and that has now evolved to Mission Viejo. The thing we're going to talk about today is Kirk has authored two really wonderful books, which are non-fictional accounts of his spiritual odyssey and evolution in his life. And the first one called Tara's Angels, which I have right in front of me, it says Tara's Angels, One Family's Extraordinary Journey of Courage and Healing. And I remember reading this book about 10 years ago. And I think I bought it actually when I went to the bookstore at Tara's Angels. I was just intrigued and I had seen them on TV and my whole heart went out to them as a mother of a daughter myself and a son. So um, that was my first book that I, I read by him. And then more recently, I read his new book and it's called Touched by Tara, The Healing Power of Love. And this is kind of a, a, a sequel to what he learned after that writing that first book and all of the people that had contacted him and his, how his whole life had changed. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So um, the, you can learn much more about Kirk at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. You can see his books. We've got JPEGs up there in his picture. And you can also go to the Center for Spiritual Living and look at their website and see what they are doing there, too. And that's in Mission Viejo, California. But let's talk about the books. And thank you so much, Kirk, for joining us this morning. Well, thank you, Mari, for having me on your show. I feel privileged. Well, you it's privileges to talk to you. You're such a great guy, and I really enjoy your music as oh, well. Thank you. thank you. So anyway, I read this book, and I'm, I read your first book, Tara's Angels. Why don't you talk a little bit about what inspired you to write this and, and what went on with your, in your heart when you were writing this book? Well, I was, of course, after the loss of our daughter and uh, what transpired after that with the opening of the store and the many, many messages she left us just prior to, to her death and right after. I was inspired to write the book um, partially as a healing process for myself, but also because there was so much more to the story about my spiritual journey from a very young age, um, and of course losing a daughter and the experience of that, and the healing that took place from that. So I wanted to share that whole inner journey um, I experienced with more people. Right. And I remember when I was reading the book about how the, the, the night that she died, she was making those angels, those little cookies and stuff. Why don't you tell a little bit about that, that, how strange that was? Yeah. Well, several things occurred just prior to her leaving the house that evening. Uh, she was, had a couple of girlfriends over for dinner with my wife, Sandy, and our other daughter, Deanna. And Tara was making burritos for everyone. And in the middle of the conversation, I was not home, I was at choir practice. Uh, In the middle of the conversation, Tara stopped and looked into Sandy's eyes and said, Mom, do you think when you're done with your work on this plane of existence that you can go at any time and do more meaningful work elsewhere? Very strange question. It was very eerie. Sandy shared that with me. Right. And Sandy responded, well, yeah, I believe that, Tara. Anything is possible. 
And so the evening went on, and she left about an hour later with the other two girls to take uh, one of the girls home, who just lived about a quarter of a mile away. And uh, the accident occurred just a few blocks from the house. And uh, that conversation that Sandy had with Tara just totally stuck in her mind. And there were signs after that, after her death, with the angel cookie that you referred to. We found one on the counter that evening after we got home from the hospital. Don't know where it came from, when she made it, or anything like that. Mm. You say in your book that you knew Tara was destined to do something really important in the world. And, you know, she wanted to be a famous actress or model. She was just gorgeous. And uh, you kept seeing her name on a storefront or a shopping bag. So what was that vision? Yeah, it's a very, it was very interesting to look back at that. Um, she was very vivacious, very energetic, uh, just totally loved people and uh, had this energy about her. And we always felt that she was destined to be influential in some aspect with her life. She loved fashion. She loved to pretend like she was a model or a spokesperson. And uh, that just was sort of her her desire. And Sandy and I both always had a vision of seeing her name on a shopping bag or a storefront, and we sort of attributed that to the fact that maybe she would be a fashion designer, not knowing what that really meant at the time. Right. It's, it is amazing, you know, when you see her picture on, you know, in the front of the book, mm-hmm. and, and also when she was on Tara's Angels Bookstore, and now right. even that you have that bookstore even in the church. So she, she did reach her destiny, that's for sure. Tara discovered her spirituality after reading a book called Messengers of Light. So I never read that book. What is this book, and how did it affect your family? Well, it uh, was a book that Tara had gravitated towards um, in a bookstore just maybe nine months prior to her accident. She was just kind of browsing, and she was with Sandy, and picked the book out and said, Mom, can I buy this book? I have to have it. And Sandy said, okay, you know, it's it's a spiritually enlightening book, I'm sure. And the book was all about what angels represent, how to maybe commune with angels, to bring them into your life, to understand on a higher level what the angelic realm is about. So Tara read that book and read that book, and uh, it was like her Bible um, with things highlighted and, and notes that she wrote in it. So it became very much uh, personal aspect of who she was. Mm. You know, I have heard many times that people come into this world and they do what they need to do, and then it's time for them to go on to the next plane. And some of, you know, especially when a young person goes, it's they're coming as teachers, you know, to mm-hmm. teach all of us around, uh, all around us. And, it's, and it surely looks like that was the purpose for Tara to come in here and to be such a wonderful messenger for all of us. Mm-hmm. You have a chapter titled Accepting Reality with Love and Understanding. So how were you able to turn such a loss into something so positive? How'd you do that, Kirk? Well, you know, you have two choices. Obviously, I, losing a child is the worst experience I think anyone can go through. Um, it's just not the normal uh, progression of things. So we, Sandy and I, had a firm foundation that in this world, everything happens to us for a reason. And we have free will or choice 
as to how we're going to experience that or our thoughts around that. Uh, we either can just cave in and wallow in that misery, or we can turn it around and do something good with the tragedy. Do something good that will be beneficial for more people. And our mindset was to do that. Uh, we've obviously over the years talked to many people that have lost children, some that have worked through it and done great things, some who have just lived with the pain all their life and haven't moved forward. So it's a choice we each make. Right. You talk about terror coming to each member of your family in dreams. And, you know, I remember um, when my father-in-law died about a week later, I had this very vivid dream. I mean, it was pretty incredible where I was very close to him and he I could feel him hug me. I mean, I could literally see him. I could see him. I could see his silver hair, his big blue eyes. And I looked at him and I, I could have sworn he was there, mm-hmm. you know. So I re- I've had those dreams with my sister and other people who have gone. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. How did she come to you and what lessons did you learn from her? Well, um, I believe that when we're in a, that dream state, it's a safe place for us to be open to connecting with spirit. Uh, and that's, I'm a very vivid dreamer anyway, and it's, I, I don't even want to label it as a dream, the experiences I've had with terror while I'm asleep. It's really a connection of our souls when I'm in that altered state of sleeping. And I have received many messages from Tara and connections with her while in that state of just um, that love is the key to to resolution. Love is the key to uh, understanding life. And she's been there in that dream state many times to, to comfort me and let me know she's all right, I'm all right, that we're doing good work and to just keep moving forward. Right. So, you know, some people would think that we're all crazy when we talk about people giving us messages from the other side. And um, it's a matter of being open to it, just being truly open to hearing what the others are guiding you from the other side and that we never really do lose them. We may not be able to touch them physically, but, um, but they're still there. You talk about the way Tara had a way of coordinating events and people at the right time and guiding things to fall into place. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, in interesting, in preparing to open a retail store to honor her and her belief in angels and spirituality, uh, Sandy and I had no business background whatsoever, no retail experience. And, but we were so moved to just do that. We, we were just propelled into doing that because our life had changed so dramatically anyway that we had to head in a new direction. And not having any experience or background, we were continually guided to the right people, places, things we needed to make it happen. And, again, being open to having those people come into your lives that can support you and what your vision is or what you your purpose is to move forward. And we really attributed a lot of that to Tara being the guiding force in this because we would think something or say, gee, I wonder how we deal with this. And then that person would show up uh, in the time of need. Yeah. In fact, you, in, you had an example about envisioning a Renaissance mural on the ceiling of your store. Why don't you tell about that? Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about wanting to make it very angelic. And we had this 
high the ceiling where we wanted to create like a a Renaissance dome effect um, right. with angels and that, and we we thought that'd be perfect. That'll really give it a nice you know ethereal atmosphere. And just a couple hours later that day, somebody who painted murals <laughs> happened to walk into the store and say, "By the way, if you ever need you know," and there it was. Right, right. You created that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and Tara helped you do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, also in your books, you talk about that you had uh, very few, uh, a few very interesting hypnotherapy sessions, and you flash back to your own near-death experience when you were a little boy, nine years old. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, that was probably the beginning of my spiritual odyssey when I was nine. I did have a near-death experience, um, but when I was nine, they weren't labeled as that. Nobody talked about that kind of thing. My right. family certainly didn't. So I, I held that near-death experience uh, close to my heart and always wondered what it was. And it wasn't until I was a young adult that I said, oh, I realized it was a near-death experience. I remembered everything. I'd fallen out of a tree, my, hit my head on the concrete, and was clinically dead for a couple of hours. So, um, And what happened during that time? Well, that during that time, what I remember, it's a typical thing where um, I was witnessing my body on the ground my mother crying hysterically. There was an ambulance there, policemen taking a report as to what happened. I can remember to a T, this was 1961 when this happened. Right. I can remember what she was wearing, what she was saying, everything that was going on there until they carried my body off in the ambulance to the hospital. Then it went to black. So I remembered the whole experience up to that time. Well, after we lost Tara, I decided to seek a hypnotherapist, and I'd never been hypnotized. Uh, but I wanted to find out what happened or what I experienced in the blackout part. And the hypnotherapist uh, took, you know, hypnotized me. And the experience of when I was in the blackout was incredible. Uh, it was just my spirit or my energy going towards what looked like a crest of a light and traveling through the universe and just feeling this total love and support and just speeding through the infinite universe continually. I can't even describe this because there's nothing on earth that compares to that love and support that I felt in that moment. And uh, as I was getting closer to this this light, it said, no, you need to go back. You have work to do. Yes. You know, I had a cousin that uh, and when she had her third child, she was in recovery and she bled to death and she was dead for, I don't know how long, I think it was a half hour. And she came back and told a very similar story, how she could see herself above her body. And then finally nurses were running around screaming and yelling and, you know, trying to do things to get her life back, to get her heart moving again. And um, then she said she saw herself go to the light. And then she saw this uh, friend of hers, that was that had died, or maybe it was a relative of hers that had died earlier, and he was sitting on um, like a fire hydrant, <laughs> and he was, and he goes, "Go back, go back, don't come here. You're not ready yet. Go back, go back." And then she found herself back in her body, and so it. Um, I remember when she told me that story when she was, you know, after she had this baby and she came back, and I started reading Life After Life. Did you ever read Raymond Moody's books? Yes, I have read, yes. Uh-huh. And more on Life After Life. And he, 
for anyone who's listening to this and you think we're all crazy, um, you might want to read Dr. Raymond Moody. He's an MD who did a lot of studies of this. And um, these are real experiences that people are, are experiencing. And when, you know, when we hear that, you, how long were you literally clinically uh, dead? A couple of hours. Wow. A yeah, couple I, of hours. Yeah, I was unconscious, right? And, 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 you know, it's interesting, Mari, because at nine years old and at that time in 1961, I had, people didn't talk about this stuff, so it wasn't like I even had, could have had this thought subconsciously in my mind about near-death experience. Right, right. What so would you know at nine? You know, it wasn't like today when people talk about them. So a, a young boy would have no knowledge or any concept of this, this kind of experience. Right. Yeah. So what did your parents say? I mean, when you came back, did you, you know, when obviously when you healed, I mean, they, first of all, they were probably outrageously happy. (laughs) But I mean, but do you remember discussing this with them? I know. I didn't discuss it with them because I didn't know what it was. I mean, you I, thought it I was a dream or something. How to articulate that, right? You know, so there, and I just didn't talk about it. I didn't probably tell, share that story with anyone until I was maybe twenty-one, twenty-two. Mm. So I kept it with me, and I kept seeing it over and over. Right. So I knew it was a pro- profound experience. I just didn't know what it meant. Right. And, and you mentioned in your book that numerous people have told you, you know, you were chosen, and you know, you have something to do. What do you think that all meant? Well, uh, my interpretation of that is, uh, and I've always had this desire to influence people to to make a difference. Um, to, I, I've always wanted to be purposeful in life. I feel we all have a, a purpose in life, and mine was to be somewhat, in some way, influential to other people, um, not knowing how that would look or or take form. So. I, you know, and it's still it's still unfolding, but it is to just be influential for other people, be a model, an example. Right, right. And to share your spirit, that's for sure. You yeah. know, at first you started with the music, which obviously music is a way to, to really share wonderful feelings with people, and you're a great musician. But then also this, this whole spirit that you're sharing, right. I think, is really wonderful. And those people who are, let's say, I know I have several people, many people who subscribe to our podcast and many of them are privacy you know people privacy professors and privacy experts and they're probably thinking what the heck is Murray thinking about today <laughs> but I think it's it's very important because this is a private issue that and I thank you so much Kirk for sharing this not only with me on on the radio but also in your books and also as your person with your with your wonderful spiritual center, because I do think people need that kind of inspiration and know that there is more to this than just the material world that we're living in. Well, and that's it, you know, and, and to be honest with you, Mari, I am a hard sell. I need a lot of proof about paranormal experiences, so it's not like I'm just grasping at things and anything's out there for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm a hard sell, but I've had so many spiritual Un, undeniable experiences, I can't help believe there's something greater going on that we uh, we can't see. Right. You know, another theme in your both of your books, and again, I'm going to mention those books. If you've just tuned in and you're interested in these books, we're, we're speaking with Kirk Moore, who is the author of Tara's Angels, One Family's Extraordinary Journey of Courage and Healing. And Kirk's other book, a more recent book, is 
touched by Tara. And this is the healing power of love. This is kind of a sequel to, and of course, they're both non, nonfiction books. Um, so let, you know, one of the other things that you talk about in your book is synchronicity. And I remember when I was reading Bernie Siegel's books and he said, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And I always loved that. I love that. And yeah, and I rem- that one just stuck in my head. And I remember reading so many spiritual journeys uh, and mystical books and talk about synchronicity. So let's talk about what is synchronicity? What, it, what do you mean by that? And what should people look for in their own lives? Well, I think there are so many messages that go unseen because we're not open to, to uh, being present in the moment of things coming together at the right time in the right place and uh, for our own good. And uh, I, I definitely, of course, believe in synchronicity that, that we're placed at certain places at a certain time because there's something there we're to gain or have a greater understanding of. So there's always this purposeful uh, aspect of certain things coming together. It's not by happenstance. Right. So when when tragedy hits, like when you lost Tara, um, you know, people will say, well, what purpose would that be? What what could God be meaning? Why would God do that? But but there is a purpose in everything. Absolutely. And, and kind of expand on that for us a little bit. Well, again, I am the, in, of the firm belief that there is good in everything, even the challenges and the tragedy. There is always something good come from it. If we choose to see that, um, in the case of losing a daughter, people go, what good could there be from that? Well, you know, of course you go through the grieving process, but there is something that can be done with such a tragedy that can help benefit other people. You see lots of people who've gone through a tragedy or have a severe challenge where they have turned it around and done something good. That's our that's our human nature if we choose to project that out there. Uh, I'm not the only one that has done good with a tragedy. There are many people. So that's the purpose. <laughs> right, right. And, and like you said, it isn't what life does to, it, it does to us. It's what we do with what happens to us. It's our choice. It's our reaction. I remember, remember even the guy who does America's Most Wanted, his child was, was yeah. murdered, remember? And look right. what all the good he's done and all the you know, exactly. all the things that he solved, all the murders that he solved and all the murders that he's prevented by exactly. getting these most wanted people. So you're right. I mean, and, and that's an inspiration for all of us that even in the time of our darkest hours, right. we can look and say, you know, not why me? Oh, poor me, but right. why me? You know? Why me? Exactly. Like, what do you want from me? You right. know, spirit or God right. or whatever you, you believe in. Right. That's exactly right. Now, you know, in your second book, which I read more, more recently, um, you had talked about all the tremendous outpouring of people who've touched, were touched by your experience and by your first book. I know um, this is the one touched by Tara, The Healing Power of Love. And, oh, gosh, you start out with one of the, the saddest stories, someone who wasn't able to. Yeah. Why don't you tell about that? That was, it just, oh, I was crying when I was reading that. 
Yeah, that was that was a very difficult chapter for me to write. It affected me a great deal. Um, of course, after the first book and, and the national television exposure we received, uh, I had received a phone call from a lady in France who didn't really speak English, and she tried to communicate with me uh, verbally, and it just didn't happen. So she somehow we discovered that she could write it better than she could speak it. So she faxed to me what was going on. Uh, in a nutshell, she had uh, her three-year-old son had drowned in the bathtub. Her husband was home at that time, and he he forgot he was in the bathtub, and the child drowned. The husband was so distraught that he ended up killing himself. So here this lady, poor lady, is, you know, devastated. And we're communicating for a few months, I believe, and she just wants answers, you know. She she knew about Tara's Angels, and she'd read the book, and she just wanted to have some greater understanding. She was a young lady in her late 20s, early 30s. And she just couldn't get past the grief, and she went into counseling over there. She'd tell me where she was going, like to Paris, to get the counseling. Finally, I didn't hear from her for a few weeks, and I got concerned. Then I get a fax from her sister that she had committed suicide. Mm. And I tell you, it just pulled the rug out from under me. I mean, I'd established this relationship via fax and some phone uh, with this lady, and we'd come to know each other quite well, and, oh, I was just devastated. Yes. And I was so sad that she felt like she had to reach halfway across the world to try and connect with somebody who'd had a devastating experience. Right. But I just have to know that, you know, she's now with the rest of her family. And I think that's what she probably was thinking, is that she just couldn't go on. And she didn't have, you know, the difference for you, you know, you you had Sandy. Yes. That was sharing your grief at that same time, and Deanna, your daughter. So, I mean, that, that was a little bit different. And I remember, if I remember correctly, she really didn't have anyone. No, she didn't. And and that was that was a huge loss for exactly. her. Exactly. Exactly. She did not have a have a support system and that was so needed by her. And so if you're listening to this and you know somebody who has lost someone and sometimes you feel like, well, after they've lost someone, you know, you don't want to keep bothering them. But really and truly you need to be there for them because they they won't necessarily reach out anymore. That could happen, right? I mean I I know Kirk as a minister now, for you and Sandy, I'm sure you, you experience this with other people there. They may be afraid to just reach out. They are. A lot of people are, are afraid to reach out. And the, the best words you can ask somebody who's gone through a devastating loss is, how are you feeling? Because that is what they need to do, is be able to express their feelings. And uh, I know that felt good for us when we went through our loss. And it was sad that here this poor woman is in France and you had all the difficulty. But you had some very good experiences, too, with people, like people feeling that, you know, you had given them so much um, positive feelings about what, you know, what would happen, that their family members really are there and that people really learned a lot from you. Why don't you share a couple of those experiences of the positive things that happened? You know, I was amazed. I, I've always had a belief that our soul or our spirit goes on forever. Even after our body dies off, the, the spirit is too profound of a entity not to live on in some other realm. So I just, in my naivety, assumed that most people believe that our spirit lives on, that there is something beyond this 
this worldly experience. Well, there's a lot of people that don't, we found out through our store and, and the broadcast that we were on. People, people wanted to hear more about, well, there is something beyond this world, you know, and they, they wanted to have a greater understanding of the power and the presence of spirit and a higher power that we may call God or whatever we, we call it. And people are just thirsting for that, and they want some inspiration and hope um, that they're, that it's not just this life here, and that's it. Right. I was reading something just in the newspaper recently about how many people don't believe in anything beyond this and don't believe in God. And that, to me, just um, it kind of blew my mind, actually. <laughs> and it was very sad for me to think that people thought that this is the end, you know, that there is nothing beyond this. And that's pretty... It's pretty jaded, I think, too. Surprising, isn't it? I mean, it amazes me, too. I, I, I wasn't raised a religious person, but I always had a deep knowing from a very, very young age that there was a, a power or a presence or a God in the universe that was there for support. And it wasn't through my parents' influence. It was just the knowing I always had. But uh, like I say, I was never a religious person. I would... I was more spiritual, but I can't imagine not having a concept that there's something greater at work. No, I know. But, you know, I, one of the things that I really appreciated in your book, um, the second one, Touched by Tara, The Healing Power of Love, was you were very open and honest about what kind of depression you went through. I mean, just because you're spiritual and you know that things are out there that that life goes on, it doesn't mean that you aren't going to go through some tremendously dark times, you know, a depression or a a very, very difficult, painful, grieving process. Mm -hmm. So in in the second book, you you even talked about how you put up a shield, a protective shield around you just to avert that pain of grieving. And to deal with the fact that so many people were approaching you about this, you know, it was almost a, a heavy experience for you to have to relive it through all these other people that were going through the pain. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was an interesting time, because um, I remember going through that. We had established a store, it had received all this notoriety, and we had, I mean, literally thousands of people coming every week from all over the world almost to see us because we've been on national television so much and on the cover of People magazine. And people have great intentions, but it sort of drains on you after a while when they they want to hear your story. And the story became a story. It was like, okay, well, I've had two lives in this one lifetime, before Tara and now after Tara. And we told the story so many times that it was like, I, you know, you kind of lose lose track of what's reality and what's not. Right. Um, so you especially kind of get lost when, in yeah, yourself. Yeah, I was going to say, Kirk, especially when you go on these TV shows, and I've been on right. a lot of them too, you yeah. know, they just, they want to go for the sensational, and they, you know, you have to do everything in sound bites because they're yeah. going to just do it in a short period of time. So it isn't really real anymore. It isn't. It, it became, I sort of lost track, but, you know, a story is is a story. Is it really true? I mean, you know, it's like right. you start questioning. It becomes surreal in that moment. Right. And we were near the grieving process, especially with a child. You don't get over it in months. Each year brings on a new aspect. The first year, you feel uh, anesthetized, 
and the second year it really sinks in, and the third year, I mean, so it takes a few years to really get to a point where you feel like you can be happy again. Um, and we had sort of bombarded ourselves with the chaos of opening the store, then all the attention. And so once everything sort of fell into place, then I began to question, well, what now am I really to do? I've got a store. It was a spiritual endeavor, but now it's because it, it grew so fast, it became a business, and that wasn't my intention. Right. And I said, I'm here wanting to help people, but I'm confused. I got confused and didn't know what direction to take myself or my life in into. Right. And I, I remember reading, it was very sad that you hired some guy that you really believed was oh. going to be great. He is your bookkeeper, and then he ended up embezzling. Uh, so, you know, talk about that. You know, I... I, I We've all done those kinds of things. You really believe in someone, and it just just well, shakes it, your whole your whole trust. That that's a lesson, you know. Sandy and I are such trusting people. We just assume that everybody is good, and this I mean, and we're not stupid people. No, um, no, you're not. And it's like this guy. It, looking back at it, the way he worked, it you know, he was with us two years, and he became like a father figure to us, and just took us under his wing. And so we were so trusting of him, and yeah. And he had a story, too. Well, he said he had a story. Right. And that's a story we bought into, that he'd lost his wife and child on Christmas Eve when he was in New York, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, uh, boy, I thought, looking back on it, I go, how could we we have gotten sucked into that? But it was such a slow, gradual process. I can see how it happened. But, yeah, he did wipe us out of all the money in our store. Um, but we learned a lesson. Again, there was good that came from that challenge and that, that experience as well, um, that we have to be very cautious of some people and not give away our power, which is what we did. So, you know, there's a lesson in everything again. I know. I, I remember I used to be more trusting as well. And, uh, of course, I've learned the, the same kind of lessons that yeah. you've learned. And I, and I remember having a, a spiritual guide to help me with that issue and she would tell me Mari I know you want are a trusting person but it's a really good idea to trust in tiny increments yeah. trust and then test then trust and then yeah. test and trust and yeah, test exactly. and um and it sounds horrible but really that helps the person too because if you allow a person to be um, trusted 100% right from the beginning, it almost puts them in a, in a position of great power to, to exactly. deceive. So right. if you don't let them get away with something in the very beginning, then that's really a gift to them too. Exactly. So they're not misguided. So, yeah, but you're right. Every, even those bad experiences are really a, a lesson, a, a total lesson. So... You know, when you talked about lifting, you know, lifting your shield, do you think you're ever going to be able to lift that shield, that protective shield that you kind of put around you for all the pain that you went through? Um, yeah. Um, I've, over the years, especially having a church or a spiritual center now where we're con- continually interacting with people, yeah, I'm, I have definitely learned to do that um, because putting a protective shield around myself isn't something that really benefits me. I want to be open to people, and I want to help them. And I know my boundaries well enough now that I can draw them. I don't need the shield. I just know when I 
can get more into it or when I need to withdraw a little bit. So I, I've really learned the boundaries. Yeah, boundaries are a big issue for everybody, aren't yes, they? They are. <laughs> and we don't want to overstep our boundaries, but we also don't want to let people overstep our boundaries. Exactly. And I think that is the, the greatest lesson in life is how to learn to do that. It's not easy. Yeah. yeah um, you know, you also emphasize in your second book, the, um, the Touched by Tara, The Healing Power of Love. You talk about how important it is to never be a attached to the outcome of any situation. You know, many of us think, okay, I've got to get this job or I've got to get this, whatever it is that we want. You know, I have to have this relationship. It has to work out. And um, you say that God gives us each what we need, (laughs) not necessarily exactly what we want, but what's best for our highest good. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, I know that doesn't always feel good uh, to not get what we want. But I feel too often when we have expectations, we set ourselves up for disappointment. So what I know, because there's been, we've all done this too, there have been so many things in my life that I said, I have had an expectation on, or, oh, I hope this happens, or, or this happens, and then I'm disappointed when it doesn't. However, in hindsight, I've gotten just what I've needed, or the, the situation has the outcome that it needed to have for something else to happen. And something maybe a lot better. Exactly. And, and, and we, it's about releasing control. We, you know, we all have our, want to have our control about how something's supposed to look or come out. And, you know, we just need to learn to surrender and say, okay, you know, I know whatever is the best will come out of this. So it's letting go. And, you know, you have to learn to trust. Right. There's been all sorts of books about creating your own, your reality and creating what you want. And, and I see them even the other day, there was something on, uh, you know, one of these infomercials about that. And I remember reading creative visualization and I know that there are classes even at your church in visualization. Right. So how do you reconcile that with, um, you know, that don't be attached to the outcome, but you should have these creative visualizations? Well, I, th- I think, Visualizing or visioning is very important to demonstrate. Um, I mean, I believe, first of all, I believe my philosophy is I believe we have a very powerful mind that can create our experience of life. So, envisioning or visualization, we're visualizing what we want and and seeing it. And visualizing or visioning is also God's. God's truth coming through you to see what God wants for you. So I, those are very important uh, tools to use, and that's only one step. And then once you have visualized or are visioning that, that can create the energy to attract that into your experience. Um, a lot of times we all attract things into our experience that we find out we don't necessarily want. Uh, so... If we visualize what we do want, we have a greater opportunity to draw that into our life, if it's for our highest good. And for the highest good of everybody around us, right? Exactly. Exactly. I know. I I got to the point in my life sometimes when I would want something to happen and I would try and visualize it. And then I'd say, you know what? If I'm not supposed to do this, God, you know, block it. Just, you know, if I'm supposed to do it help me to get it done. And if I'm not supposed to do it, 
just block it so that I have some guidance here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. And, and I think timing is a thing. I mean, I've always had this, again, another vision I've had from a young child and, and I've visualized over the years is I always saw the first book I wrote, Terra's Angels, being made into a film project. In fact, we actually had two uh, producers that wanted to do something with it years ago, but it never came to fruition. But I've always seen that book as a film project, and so I visualize it. And you know what? It still hasn't happened. But I have to know, okay, the timing's not right. Right. When and if the timing's right, it will happen. And there's nothing wrong with me still visualizing it, you know, currently. So Right, right. You never know. It might be a documentary instead, right. of, I mean, a, yeah, you know, I, instead of a feature-length movie. It might be a documentary. It be anything. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah. So I just need to let go and let it unfold the way it's supposed to unfold. Exactly. In your book, Touched by Tara, you talk about a dream you had in Hawaii in which Tara came to you, not as a teenager, but as an adult. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, I think the reason I wrote about that, because typically I had, when I had visitations or dreams about her, it was always her as a teenager, as she, a 15-year-old just before uh, she made her transition. And it was interesting, this was years later, to have a dream or visualization, whatever we're going to call it, of her as an adult, because she would have been an adult at that time when I had the dream. Mm-hmm. So it was like, wow, um, I'm seeing her as she would be today. Mm-hmm. And uh, that in itself was profound, because I hadn't had that experience before. So that's why that particular one stood out in my mind, that I got to see her more mature, wiser, and still giving me advice. And why do you think she appeared to you like that? I'm sorry, what was that? Why do you think that she appeared to you as an adult then? What do you think um, was that purpose? I think purpose? for comfort, uh, because I think she had some other messages to give me. Um, mm. And uh, I think there was, I was ready for it at that time, because I had such an impact on me seeing her more mature. Right, so that she went on, me. that life went on for her at that level. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be really profound. And... So I wanted to ask you, though, what about your daughter, Deanna? I know you talked in your book about, in your second book, about how when all of this was going on and you were in your grief and in your pain and in all of this stuff going on, that it sounded like Deanna, Deanna got kind of lost in the shuffle for you. You know, yeah, it was it was somewhat sad. She was 12 and a half uh, when Tara was in the car accident. And I remember feeling even... Um, more devastated having to tell her and her having to live without her sister than I felt devastated for losing a child. Right. Because here I have a daughter still on this earth, earthly plane who I'm going to see going through a lot of pain and grief. And uh, when we got involved with the story, it literally took all our time. And all these people were uh, praising Tara, so to speak, and, and this angel um, and just talking about her for years from all this notoriety. Right. And Deanna got sort of, you know, shuffled by the wayside and didn't get the attention. Fortunately, it didn't have any harmful impressions on her, but uh, we, we talked, we've talked about it as a family. But I felt badly that this took all our time, and here she needed us probably more, and we weren't there. Right. Um, but she's a great young adult now. She's 30, and 
she just is on her own path and, uh, you know, very healthy. And, and she's never given us any problems. So I can honestly say that it didn't damage her, thank God. But um, in looking back, I feel bad as a parent. Not yeah, we all have our guilt yeah. times, don't right. we, which guilt gives us nothing. But you've you've reconciled that with yes, her. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the most important lessons that you learned from your experiences here? Oh, never to take how precious life is for granted mm, because mm-hmm. it can change. In, in an instant. In an instant. Mm-hmm. So just cherish every day. I know that sounds trite because so many people say that after a loss, but it is so true. And and if we can take all the challenges we've been faced with in life and look for the gift in that and do something good from that. Um, I, I have a saying that, we go through life, and we're, we're all going to have challenges and losses. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is an option. We don't have to suffer. Right. We have free will and choice to move beyond anything that comes our way if we just take the higher road. And I think that's really what I've learned. We were talking this morning with Kirk Moore, and Kirk is a reverend, and he is co-minister and music director. He's a fantastic musician at the Center for Spiritual Living, which is in Mission Viejo, California. But he's also been a celebrity. He and Sandy Kirk, his wife, and his daughter Deanna, have been on a lot of TV shows, and they're on the cover of uh, People magazine and have been very involved in the spiritual movement. And they were, they're were they the founding ministers of, uh, of a wonderful church in Mission Viejo, California. And Kirk has taken the time to write his experiences about losing his daughter, his first book, which I read about 10 years ago, is called Tara's Angels, One Family's Extraordinary Journey of Courage and Healing, and it really touched my heart, enough that I bought the book and went to Tara's Angels as long as the store was in effect, and then now I feel very privileged to be able to come to this wonderful healing and, and spiritual center with, with Kirk and Sandy. And the second book I just read recently, and that also is by Kirk Moore, and it is called Touched by Tara, The Healing Power of Love. And this is really a, a stories about what he went through after writing that book and all the people that contacted him and what he learned from it and the growth experience that he had. And um, so, Kirk, what are some important things that you want to tell other people who are going through tremendous pain, such as the loss of a child or, or a sibling or a family member? Well, I, th- I think it's very important to surround yourself with people that will lift you up, that can be a support. I think it's very important to get involved if you have a spiritual or religious community that you're involved in to really embrace that. Um, and I think it's important whenever we go through a challenge to step up in life and serve, whether it be for a, ch- a charity uh, for any organization, some way of giving back and serving, because then you step out of your own pain and 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 you go out there and help others. And there's nothing more rewarding and nothing more healing than doing that. So there's a lot that people can do uh, if they just you know get their mind clear and and shift the direction and allow themselves to be lifted up. Right. It's kind of getting back to that issue of why me, poor me, where you get so 
you know, self-centered that you can't see the forest through the trees. Right, right. But um, but when you're able to be giving and to help others, then you you also recognize the humanness in others and the pain in others, and it's 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 a gift back to you, isn't it, Kirk? Absolutely, it's the biggest gift. Yeah. So there is a gift in in every one of these tragic lessons, if we could remember. So if you're listening to this and you've had a loss recently, just know that. And you would really do well to to pick up these books because they have given me a lot of, I mean, I remember reading this at a time when I had lost my parents and then I thought about all these things when I lost my sister. So I can totally relate. So millions of people have been touched by Tara and your books. Um, what do you think is in store for Tara's message in the future? Because I know one of our wonderful people at our church, uh, Gretchen, has experienced some some real fear with a, a daughter who was in an accident, and we all talked about the fact that Tara was around her. So what do you think is Tara, what Tara's doing? What do you think is her message now? Well, we were told years ago that one of Tara's message in the spiritual realm is to help people understand better, help people, if you will, cross over from the uh, human or physical world into the spiritual realm. Um, We've been told over the years she's helped a lot of children who've passed on uh, with the transition. Uh, I know that sounds way out there, but we've had many many healers and different people approach us and tell us that that's what her purpose is and will continue to be, just to uh, help people in that uh, time of need. Now, has Deanna, I think I remember Deanna, a story that you told in your book, that Deanna had a story in which um, something that happened to her at camp, she lost her ring or some, or Tara's oh. ring. Tell that story. That was pretty profound. Uh, yeah, she, they were at a, a teen summer camp, and Deanna had lost this Actually, this was a, a, after Tara's death. Deanna had lost a ring that belonged to Tara that you know, obviously she cherished at the teen camp. And, um, and she had all the kids looking for it that night. Nobody could find it. You know, it wasn't anywhere around. So they all went to bed in their cabins that night. Well, Deanna woke up the next morning, and her hand was clenched. And she opened her hand up, and there was the ring in the palm of her hand. Right. And you said that she hadn't told you about that no. until actually she was telling some journalist or something right in front of you, and you'd yes, never exactly. even heard the story. Deanna wasn't real open about things like that, but we did find out. You're right. She was uh, some magazine or something was doing an interview, and she shared that. And I go, whoa, that's pretty profound. Yeah. You know, the other, recently they had a uh, something on, I can't remember, one of the, was it Dayline or 48 Hours or one of the, the shows, um, they had a lot of the people who had become widows or had lost members of their family in 9-11. I saw that. Did yes. you see that? Yeah, and the I, woman? I totally relate. <laughs> yes, yes. And that woman who said something about her husband with the quarters. Quarters everywhere. Yes, yes. yes exactly. that, that before he died, exactly. something about there was a quarter that they needed. And then um, after he was killed in 9-11, uh, yeah. in, you know, in the World Trade Center, that she kept finding quarters. She didn't even carry quarters in around. And, yeah, all yeah. the places. Yes. 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 I, that was. I said, well, I can relate to that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's it's really wonderful. So I always tell people because I had a lot of these experiences when my family, you know, my members of my family died. My father, my mother, my sister, and I asked for signs. 
Right, right. And it's a really good thing to do that when you have someone that you that you've lost and you just pray and say, Okay, you know, show me a sign that you're okay That's and right. that everything is good. I remember my nephew when my when his mother died, um, he went to the cemetery and he it was winter in Chicago and he said, I wanna see a purple flower. I wanna see a purple flower. That'll show me that you're okay. And unbelievably out of the snow was a little purple flower that he found on his way back from visiting her grave. So she let him know. So this is funny. I decided that I wanted to have that kind of thing. After he told me that, I, I went to where my parents are buried, and it's, it's in California. And I was looking out at the ocean, and I said, oh, I want a sign. Please, I want to see a bird. I want to see a bird, you know, that I know that my sister and my parents are fine. And I didn't see the bird, and I was all disappointed and then I walked to my car, and this is a true story, Kirk. I walked to my car, and all over the windshield was bird doo-doo, <laughs> all over it. And on the side, I couldn't even get into my car. Oh, my God. It was, it was you know, from the seagulls, because it's not far from the ocean in Newport. And I started laughing, and I called my nephew, and I said, they got mad at me and decided to tell me, okay, you want a bird? We'll give you birds. We're going to show you we're here. And that would be something that my sister would do. It would be like, okay, little sister, I'm going to show you birds. It was, it was that pretty funny. funny. It was, it was there funny. You go. And <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew that they were playing with me, but they let me see the birds. So, uh, so it's a really important thing to always remember to ask for a sign and you will get it. You might not get the kind of sign you want. Right, but you'll get the sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, my nephew got a nice sign and i got one they they just said oh okay we'll, we'll play with you a little bit so there was it was sense pretty of humor yes they my sister had a good sense of humor and that's she would always you know she was seven years old and she used to play with me all the time so uh, that's that's what she did the same thing she used to do when she was on this plane that, so yeah so we're just about out of time is there one last thing that you would like to say and then i want you to give your website too um you know i just I have such inspiration in my life. I have such a good life now, and I'm so thankful. Um, The loss of Tara is something that I could sit down and cry because I miss her, but we have thoroughly, as a family, worked through the grieving process. It's been, what, 18 years now. Right. But, um, you know, you you continue to miss them, but your life goes on. Yes. And... And you can do good things with your life, no matter what you've been through. Okay. Well, I want you to give the web your website, and yes. so people can go and see what all the great things that you have on that website Absolutely. for the church. Absolutely. The website is www.csloc.org. Okay. And then they can go and look for your books. Absolutely. Touched by Tara and Tara's Angels. And thank you so much, Kirk. We'll oh, see you soon. Thank you, Mari. Really appreciate the time with you. Okay. You've All been right. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests. See their books, the JPEGs of their books. See, the, Look at their websites and listen to archived interviews and download podcasts. And most of all, we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email and have a good day and stay private. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.